Well, we've been in a study in the book of James, and this study is based on a book called Be Mature by Warren W. Wearsby, published in 2008. And I began a, a study last week, so it was a two-part study. I did part one last week on turning trials into triumphs. And tonight we're going to go to part two. Now, I wanted to give credit up front to Warren Wiersbe because a lot of the information that I'm going to share in this message you can find in chapter two of that book, and it is fantastic. There's a lot of practical and relevant commentary that he gives. And so we encourage you, pick up the book and uh, study it for yourself. All right, let's get right into this message and into the text Uh, for this study. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12, says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it or count it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word, which is life to us. Thank you that you pour into us this wonderful truth, oh God, that helps us to live, helps us to mature. And we pray these, that you would bless this message tonight to everyone listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week I went over the first two of four things found in this passage that we must do to turn trials into triumphs, to become victors instead of victims. First, I mentioned that we need to count. Have a joyful attitude in the middle of the trial. At the beginning, have joy, and at the end, have joy. James says, when troubles of any kind come your way, Counted an opportunity for great joy. In other words, evaluate that opportunity, that trial. See its worth in the beginning to bring you great joy. Yes, God wants you to have great joy in the middle of your troubles. And the second thing is I taught you how it is possible to have a joyful attitude as soon as trouble starts. Yes, right away. Know and have an understanding mind. When we know that faith is always tested and that the test always works for us and not against us, then we begin to understand how God is maturing us through the trial. Maturity, spiritual maturity, cannot 
come simply by instruction. It must come by experiencing life and all of its troubles. So the next two things that we must do to turn trials into triumphs are let and ask. Let me jump right into it. Let's begin with let. Let have a surrendered will. Let God do what he wants to do in your life. Let God help you. Let God guide you. Let God prompt you, convict you, mold you, and shape you. We need to let God, and the only way to let God do what he will in us is to have a surrendered will. Speaking of endurance or patience, as it can be translated, James writes in verse 4, so let it grow. For when your endurance or patience is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Notice in this passage when it says, let it grow, it's implying that we can stop it from growing. We cannot let it grow. We can get in the way of endurance growing. In other words, we could just sit in the trial, complain, murmur, uh, just, just really... Uh, not understand what's going around us and be in total confusion without letting it grow, but we can let it grow. We can decide that this will be an opportunity for us to grow maturely through it. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. God's goal for our lives is maturity. It would be a tragedy to stay babies, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be terrible. You know, babies, if they never got off mama's milk or they never, you know, stopped crying for everything they wanted and they couldn't walk and they couldn't talk and they couldn't do anything for themselves, that would be horrible. But humans are meant to grow. They're meant to mature. They're meant to grow up. And so the same is true of our spiritual lives. God wants us to grow in our spiritual life. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, Paul outlines three works that are involved in a complete Christian life. The first is this. Let me read to you from the passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So first, there is a work that God does for us. That is called salvation. He does it for us. We do nothing. All we have to do is call on the name of the Lord. All we have to do is have faith. So we are saved by grace through faith. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvelous? Second, there is the work God does in us. That is called sanctification. We are His workmanship. That means that God he comes and he works inside of us. He shapes us and molds us. He begins to, he begins to fashion us and, and, and put us on a pathway toward the plans that he has for us. And so God works in us. The third thing is that God works through us. That's service. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. What I think is so cool about this is that God didn't just create you and then go, hmm, I wonder what she's good for. Oh, I wonder if he'll amount to anything. God didn't create us that way. In fact, God created a purpose. He created something that was to be done, and then he created you for that. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool in my life to know that I was created for a purpose. God had something in mind, and he made me especially 
to get that done. So God wants to work in each of us. Will you let him work in you? We don't do it, but he won't do it, excuse me, without your consent. God will not make you do it. You have to let him. God worked 25 years in Abraham before giving him his promised son. Think about that. He worked 13 years in the life of Joseph, putting him through many testings before allowing him to be the second in command over all of Egypt. And what about Moses? Listen, God worked 80 years on Moses so that he could allow him to do 40 years of ministry. And Jesus, man, he took three full years to teach and instruct his disciples before he was on the cross and then resurrected and then sent the Holy Spirit to empower them to go out and be his witnesses. So to consent to the work of God in us, we must have a surrendered will. See, a a mature person does not argue with God. Instead, they willingly accept God's will and they obey it joyfully. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to accept the things that God has to say? And if he does say them to us, will we obey them joyfully? Well, that's a matter of the heart. You see, Ephesians 6, 6 says this, the will that they did the will of God from the heart. And that's the way God wants it. He doesn't want you to just be a puppet, a robot. You know, he doesn't just want you to do things because you feel that you have to. God wants you to love him in return. He wants you to know that he has an amazing love, an incredible love that nobody can separate you from. But he wants you to also love him and let that be your motivation for doing his will. If we try to go through trials without a surrendered will, we'll end up even more immature. I think probably most everybody listening to this can remember the story of Jonah in the Bible. You know, Jonah with the whale. Jonah was a prophet, and he was probably a pretty good preacher. Uh, But he had had some natural enemies. They were called the Ninevites. But God, he loves everybody. So he wanted Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to do it because he knew that if he preached... God would save those people, that those people would give their heart to God. And Jonah didn't want to see that happen, so he fought God, but that's why he ended up in the belly of the whale. You can't really argue too much if you're in the belly of the whale. And then you get spit out on the dry land, and you go, and you preach, and you do exactly what God said. But the end of the story, a lot of people don't know. It wasn't all happy for Jonah. The people, they gave their hearts to God, and Jonah didn't go, yay, yay, God did a great thing. Instead, Jonah was like sitting under a tree, wishing he would be dead, you know, and it was miserable for Jonah because he wasn't happy at all. He became even more immature because he didn't go through that trial with a surrendered will to God. He did it with being begrudged. One difficult stage of maturity is weaning. I want you to think about this for a second. A young child in the process of weaning from its mother is pretty much convinced that that mother hates it. Okay, so that child is like, does not understand, you know, mom, why, why? We've always been attached. Where are you going? Why are you letting me, why aren't you helping me with everything? Why aren't you getting me everything I need every second of the day? And so the child is pretty much convinced the mother is against it. Spiritually, we must grow up. We must stop drinking only the milk of the word 
and we need to go on to solid food. What in the world does that even mean? Spiritually, what it means is this. The milk of the Word is the basics of Christianity. It's the basics of your faith. You understand Jesus. You understand the cross. Uh, you've been told about the Trinity. Uh, you know that you should go to church, that you should pray, that you should probably read your Bible once in a while. You kind of know the basics, but maybe you don't really know a whole lot about much else about how to really apply God's Word to your life on an everyday basis. And you certainly don't understand the deeper things in the Word. So the milk is the basics. The meat is the deeper things, all right? That meat part of the Word, that's like the steak, all right? That's where you get to like really dig into it and eat it and begin to chew. That's the meat. It's those things that are difficult and more difficult to understand and apply in your life. But as you mature, you get a taste for it. You chew on it. And so that's what the meat is. It's the solid food, those deeper things. And just like a child learns how to feed itself, and I remember this very well, it's, it's not a pretty process when a child first starts to learn to eat. My daughter, when she would sit in the high chair and we'd put spaghetti and meatballs in front of her, man, she grabbed that spaghetti. It went all over her face, all over her hair, all over the high chair. She threw the spaghetti everywhere. We have videotape because it was so much fun watching. But this is like a child learns that I've got some hands and I can feed myself and I'm going to have a good time doing it. It's, it's really messy. And it's going to be the way it is for any new believer too. When they are just beginning and learning how to eat solid food, it gets a little messy. They won't understand everything that they read. They, uh, don't, they won't get how to apply a lot of the things that God says. But as they begin to learn to, eat, to feed themselves and chew, they begin to understand more. And what a better way and what a freeing way to know that we can actually feed ourselves. And it's just like at the church, man. You don't need pastors all the time just to hand you the food on a spoon and kind of like, you know, do that little circle, open the hatch so the plane can land. You know, you don't need to do that. The pastor doesn't have to give you all your food and you just go home and you forget all about it until you come back to church again where the, we're feeding you again spiritually. No, you can go home. You can read your Bible. You can open it up. The Holy Spirit is your best teacher. And that is what it means to mature and get into the deeper things. God wants us to move away from childish understanding and immature attitudes. David captured the idea of weaning in Psalm 139.2 very well. It says this, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I'm getting this picture of a baby so content and so comforted just being with mom and not really worrying whether mom will come back into the room if mom leaves for a minute, not really having to cry over everything that they that they want or need. This child has now become somewhat of an independent person. And so they can operate. They can be more mature. At some point, we must stop being crybabies spiritually when trials come and start resting with confidence in the presence of our Heavenly Father. That's God's desire for us. Our text in James 1 and verses 9 through 11 points out how to be a mature Christian through the trials, whether we are rich or poor. Apparently, the saints in Jerusalem where James was pastoring, they had an issue with status and wealth, and they didn't know how to treat one another. But James is speaking and talking about trials as the great leveler 
of status. In other words, trials come to both the rich and to the poor. They come to everyone. When testing comes to the poor man, he lets God have his way, and he rejoices that he possesses spiritual riches that cannot be taken from him. And when testing comes to the rich man, he also lets God have his way, and he rejoices that his riches in Christ cannot wither or fade away. In other words, it is not your material resources that take you through the testings of life. It is your spiritual resources. So let me wrap up that part and just say, let us let God grow in us. Let God have his way in us. Let us have a surrendered will to God. All right. And the second point is ask. Ask. Have a believing heart. Verse 5 said, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. And it goes on. Sometimes when we are going through difficulties, we don't know what to pray about. I mean, yeah, we got all kinds of ideas of what we like to say in prayer, right? In other words, we like to think maybe we could pray, God, get them. God, show her what a jerk she is. God, let that business just fold up and go away. They took such advantage of me. God, and we pray, and we, we want to say all these things, but really what God is telling us that we should really do when we go through a trial is pray for wisdom. It's not pray for revenge. It's not pray for all those things. It's pray for wisdom. James has a great deal to say about wisdom. The Jewish people were lovers of wisdom, as the book of Proverbs gives evidence. Someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, while wisdom is the ability to put them together. So what makes wisdom so important to ask for in trials? Why should we ask for it? Why can't we just ask for strength and grace or even just deliverance? What makes that wisdom so much better? Well, we need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and for God's glory. You might be going through a tremendous trial, temptation right now. The best thing you can do in that is ask for wisdom. It's pretty simple. Call out to God. God, give me wisdom. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to think or feel. I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to talk to people around me. The wisdom that God will give you will be the wisdom of how not to waste that trial. You've been through so much. You've been through the highs and the lows. You've been through the heartache and the pain. You've been through all of these difficulties and all of this confusion. Why let that go to waste when God can bring you great joy and he can mature you through it? You have to ask this, what can I gain through this? Because God certainly wants the trial to be for your benefit. He wants to refine you, and he wants to bless you. In 1924, two climbers were part of an expedition that set out to conquer Mount Everest. As far as is known, they never reached the summit, and they never returned. Somewhere on that gigantic mountain, they were overpowered by the elements, and they died. After the failure of the expedition, the rest of the larger party returned home. Addressing a meeting in London, one of those who returned described the ill-fated adventure. He then turned to a huge photograph of Mount Everest, mounted on the wall behind him. Everest, he cried, we tried to conquer you once, 
but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you a second time, but again, you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you, for you can't grow any bigger, and we can. This is the spirit that God wants to have in us with our trials. We can grow bigger. We can be more mature. Why? Because we have a big God. James not only tells us what to ask for, wisdom, but he tells us how to ask for it. And that is with an unwavering faith in God. We must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Just ask Peter about that. When he took his eyes off Jesus while he was walking on the water and he looked down at the waves, he sank. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me conclude this by saying that James ends his passage with a beatitude in verse 12. God blesses or blessed are those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. James is not saying that sinners are saved by enduring temptations or trials, okay? And that's what saves them. In other words, you hold out just long enough. I know you're tempted, but if you don't do it, you can get saved. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the believer is rewarded by enduring trials. You're going to go through trials, but the rewards are great if you endure them. This wraps up our study of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 12 turning trials into triumphs. And we need to remember these things that we should do. We should count, have a joyful attitude. No, have an understanding mind. Let, have a surrendered will. Ask, have a believing heart. I want to end before I pray with this one quote. In adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job when He wants to do an improving job. To realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the storm.